Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Jake Mathis, and this is From Bob's Office. It is currently 11.09 on Tuesday, June 23rd, and it is a gloomy day. Sitting here with me... That's a negative way to start the show. June gloom. I guess there's that. Anyway, I'm Jacob Bomber, and the next voice you hear belongs to an incredibly special guest. This fall, he will be studying business at UCLA, and he is the creator and founder of Sconies, a delicious treat that we will talk about later. But he is also a three-time cancer survivor and one of the most incredible stories of perseverance through passion I have ever seen. Ladies and gentlemen, Jack Witherspoon. How's it going? Thanks for having me. It is our honor to have you with us. Um, so before we get into everything, give us a little bit of background about yourself. Where were you born and raised? Who were your parents, siblings? What does everybody do? What does Jack's world look like? Uh, yeah, so I was born and raised right here uh, in Southern California um, in Redondo Beach. Uh, I have a mom and a dad. I have a uh, younger brother. He's two years younger than me. So we kind of grown up together. We shared a lot of the same friends and going to school together. Um, also have two dogs. Um, so that's kind of what our family life consists of. Um, but outside of that, it's pretty normal family dynamic. Jake's really going to want to know what kind of dogs you have. Yeah, we have uh, two terriers. Uh, we have okay. one uh, little white fluffy blonde terrier it's a little bit bigger and then we have uh one little darker um she's actually really tiny but she's super <laughs> sweet she is like the epitome of a lap dog and everyone oh, loves her her name i is love that it's it's she's adorable so i have this an unfortunate aversion to dogs especially <laughs> small dogs well okay it may or may not have resulted from me being bit in the face by a dog when I was like six. Oh, but yeah, <laughs> may but or I, may not. <laughs> I'm also just like a cat person. Like I always grew up with cats, and uh-huh. and there's like a version of dogs that I think are like these dogs are epic. Like huskies, retrievers, like you know big. Yeah, dogs. yeah, yeah. And so my one of my bad life mottos is if I can punt it, it's not a dog. <laughs> and people get really upset at that, which is reasonable. And you know, like I understand that. I mean, when I was up until kind of recently, I didn't really like small dogs. We had pugs growing up, which were not oh, super no. large either. But he was the one that we had when we were little. He was super like he was a heavy oh, duty dog. <laughs> he was and he was small, but you could not budge him over. I mean, like, you'd have trouble punting him. He was a solid dog, but like. I don't know. These dogs are, they're nice. They're good, good company, you as, know. As long as they serve their, you know, quote unquote purpose of providing yeah. good company and be like that. I guess that's the purpose. <laughs> oh, I should not have outed myself. Now I'm going to have a lot of angry, a lot more angry people that it's on the record. Yeah, it's not good to like out yourself as someone <laughs> that punts dogs or. <laughs> I didn't no, I do it. I said if I <laughs> do it. I've never yeah. actually punted a dog. I'm just aware no. of how See, big and how big I am and how much a kick from me could instill. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure I could send a few dogs flying through the air. Jacob's got a lot of like triggers that will just annoy people. That's one of them, and there's just an endless list. We don't need to go into that. 
but <laughs> outing myself on one thing is enough. Right, so we'll just get back to focusing on Jack. This isn't about me. This is about Jack. Um, so we're just going to get right into it. How old were you? And what was the diagnosis the first time that you had cancer? Yeah, I mean, my story is kind of very interconnected, so it, it's hard to break it up into parts. I mean, you yeah. could, it's, we have like my three bouts of leukemia, so I'm a, I'm a three-time leukemia survivor. Um, I was first diagnosed when I was two. Um, this is probably the bout of leukemia I remember the least. I was the youngest. Yeah. I mean, it, up until recently, you know, these last, like, it's been about eight years since my transplant now, you know, going to the hospital, constant doctor's appointments was a very, you know, normal part of my life. So from the very start when I was two, um, but before I was two years old, I mean, I had a pretty normal childhood, you know, growing up, uh, with my, with my parents. And then right actually when my brother was born is when I kind of started developing symptoms, um, that seemed kind of unusual to my parents. I was crank. I mean, they were kind of, normal for for a little kid i was yeah. cranky all the time i said my legs hurting uh you know but it was one day when um i was actually going to go to a swimming lesson uh, i got ghostly pale and my mom thought this is there's definitely something wrong so put everything on hold we went to the doctors i got a blood test uh and within i think the end of the day uh the doctor called my parents back and said that i had leukemia so ever since that moment you know, things have kind of spiraled into the series of events that have led me to this point. So what specific, like, so there's a couple different kinds of leukemia, right? What, for those that don't know, what does leukemia yeah, specifically yeah. do and what, which one did you have? What is, and like, what does that do to the body? So I had the most common type of leukemia in kids. It's ALL, it's acute lymphoblastic uh, leukemia. There's also uh, AML, and uh, there's there's another one. Um, there's like a chronic one too. Um, but I had the most common one for for a child. Um, the even since I was first diagnosed, the success rate, the cure rate for ALL has increased dramatically. I think it was like eighty oh, percent wow. when I was, or eighty five percent when I was first diagnosed, and now it's like ninety something percent. Um, it, I, it, modern medicine is advancing so fast, but it's it's really good to to see that. I mean, especially since I've raised money for leukemia research, it's good to see that there's progress being made towards it. Um, you know, I was in the small, very small minority that you know usually you know you get diagnosed and you finish your the treatment when you were t- when I was two was about three. I think my power just went out. In the house. <laughs> I think, yeah, the lights just turned out. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, It's fine. My computer is still on. Um, I'm going to blame Jake's negativity with his June gloom, and we're just going to attribute it to that, bad karma. Anyway, um, back to what I was saying. So the the treatment is consistent of, like, three and a half years. Uh, There's... um, about one and a half years of pretty intense uh, chemotherapy. Uh, you were in, I was in the hospital a lot. 
Uh, and then the last like year and a half really consistent, uh, like a little over a year and a half consisted of more outpatient stuff. A lot of doctor's appointments, a lot of checkups. Um, you know, there was, I was weaning myself or I got weaned off of a lot of the medications that I was on, uh, from the previous year and a half. Um, but this was kind of this, uh, this bout of leukemia was less impactful to me. You know, I was, I wasn't in school. I missed, I didn't go to preschool, but you know, that, wasn't super important to me. I didn't even know I'd never been to school before. So I didn't have a whole lot of friends that, you know, I was being ripped away from or anything. Um, it was really just, it almost seemed very, it seemed very normal to me, honestly. Um, until, until I kind of got done with treatment and I started going to kindergarten and I started having friends, you know, so there was a, there was about a year, year and a half gap in between my first bout and my second bout of leukemia. So I did go to kindergarten. I finished my, my year of kindergarten. I made quite a few friends and had play dates and kind of did the normal five-year-old, six-year-old thing. Yeah. Um, and then when I was in first grade, that's when I relapsed again, or I relapsed for the first time. And that, that was probably the, I mean, the, the last time was definitely the most devastating, but that was kind of, it was a very a much more real feeling than when I was two and I didn't really know what was going on. So when, so you said first grade was your second diagnosis? That yeah, that was when yeah. I first relapsed. Yeah. My okay. mom, my mom actually took a picture of me. I don't, I think I have it somewhere of me. Uh, Cause I was tested and we were waiting for the results and my mom thought something was wrong. She had a picture of me on my last day of first grade that I went to before I was pulled out. Hmm. How, so you got pulled out like halfway through the year or? Yeah, it was, it wasn't even halfway. It was probably hmm. like a few months in. And like, do you remember that experience a lot or was that one different from the first one? Like, yeah, it was significantly different. I mean, I was much more aware of the circumstance. Uh, I had friends and stuff, so I was kind of being more so isolated. Uh, I was playing sports. I was playing little league and stuff. I was in t-ball and stuff, and I was not. I was not able to do that anymore. Um, so it was a much more. Um, my lights back on. <laughs> um, it, was, it was a much more devastating feeling for me. But the funny thing is, is this. As, as terrible as it was, ended up kind of being the start of all that I've been doing currently. Um, cause it was, so the, the treatment protocol for, uh, your first bout and your second bout are pretty significantly different. Um, I mean, when you're first diagnosed, the treatment is longer. It's more spread out. Um, as opposed to when you, relapse it's kind of almost counterintuitive you feel like the treatment would be longer but it's actually shorter and way more intense so hmm. my uh my first bout of leukemia instead of or it went from being three and a half years to as two and a half years so but in that two and a half years i spent probably two weeks out of every month in the hospital oh, man. um so is it more of an aggressive attack because your body kind of already dealt with the chemicals and stuff that they use or yeah i mean i'm not completely sure i'm not i'm not a pre-med <laughs> oh, yeah of course <laughs> science behind it um i do know that since they know the leukemia is more aggressive because it has relapsed they have mm -hmm. to treat it more aggressively um that is when 
that's what I've been told at least. Yeah. So what is, as a kid that age, you've already experienced it once and kind of have recollection of that. Now you're going through it again. And now this is obviously taking a toll on your life, you know, in mm-hmm. a way that was different from the first time. What is your mindset at that age? Like, are you devastated? Are you just like, well, this is life, so I'm doing it? Like, where are you at mentally yeah. doing that? No, that's a, that's a very good question. I mean, it's funny. I mean, as a little, I'm, I was a very, I still am a very positive person, so I do try to look at the brighter side of things. But the funny thing is, is since I had already gone through it again and it was already something that seemed weirdly normal to me, yeah. it was almost like, all right, I did it at once. I, one one moment actually that my parents I, I remember it, but my parents remember it very vividly because they were probably the most devastated. Yeah. Um, because having their kid not only have to go through it once, but then going through it again, yeah. it was a very devastating moment for them. And I remember we were in the doctor's office and we were kind of walking out the hallway. My my mom was crying and my my dad was very sad. Uh, and I turned around and I said, we, you know, we've done this once, we can do it again. And that was kind of a moment for them that they, um, I, I think helped them because I was very positive about it. And that's you at like seven years old. <laughs> yeah, I was saying, like, that's pretty huge for someone that young. Wow. <laughs> but like as a kid, you don't know any better. Like you, yeah, your experience, I did this. Optimistic, so. But I mean, it was kind of that optimism that I think helped them get through it. Yeah, 100%. That's... So how long did that, how long did the second time take you out of school and stuff? Uh, so I missed the the remainder. I missed pretty much all of first grade because I was only in first grade. I, I, not looking back, I was probably like two months I was in first grade. So I missed pretty much the entire first grade year. Uh, I was didn't really have a summer first grade year. And then I missed about half of second grade. So I came back wow. to second grade. Um, I want to say like it was in March. February, March, late February, early March, I kind of came back to, to second grade. It was a very weird transition because, yeah. Yeah. you know, going back to school in the middle of the year with like just, I mean, I knew some of the teachers and everything, but it was a very kind of, uh, uh, a, it was a, it was a weird feeling because I, I, I felt like my friends, you know, kind of didn't really move on. They still were my friends, but I kind of came in almost, it was almost like going to a new school, kind of. Yeah. Um, so were you still doing schoolwork and stuff during all that? Yeah, they still right. um, they keep you up to date. They do, like, Good. home hospital. It's called home hospital. Uh, uh, but, <laughs> you know, you, you don't get the same. Yeah, it's not know, the same, of course. Especially as a first and second grader. Like, you need to be present yeah. and manipulate yeah. and stuff. And- yeah, you know, it being, it's weird not being in a classroom setting and especially a lot of the times when I was under treatment and everything, I, uh, I did not feel good. I, I did not feel like, you know, doing math or reading. So it was, uh, school was kind of put on the back burner for a few, a few years while I was, uh, recovering. So you mentioned that during that time is what started what you're doing now. What was it? Yeah. That? You know, as um, as terrible as it was, it was kind of the start of something I think was pretty good. I mean, like I said, I was in the hospital for probably two weeks out of every month for like a year, year and a half. Um, but one of the things that kind of started it um, is so before every hospital stay, my mom would stay with me most of the time in, in the hospital. But before we'd 
I'd be admitted into the hospital. Uh, my mom would take me out to dinner at a restaurant and we'd have dinner together. And it was, a, we'd always go to like somewhere new. Uh, the hospital that we went to was in Long Beach. So we kind of explored the area a lot around Long Beach and went to different restaurants trying food. Um, so I already kind of enjoyed food to begin with, but, um, there was one night, um, and, it was it was late. It was way past any six year old should be up. It was <laughs> I don't even know what time it was, but I knew it was late yeah. uh, because all the all the kids' channels went to because back at the back at this time they really only had like Cartoon Network for a kids' channel and Cartoon Network if you don't, it goes to Adult Swim uh, yeah, like probably around nine or ten nine or so nine or ten yeah and it and it had been on Adult Swim for a while so I was not <laughs> watching it because I wasn't really into it at yeah. that time I was six so my mom. I think she thought I was asleep. I was just kind of like resting my head. Um, but she starts flipping through the channels and she stops, you know, on, on one of the cooking channels. Mm-hmm. And I kind of open my eyes and, and look at it real quick. And I, uh, instantly kind of pop up and, you know, start watching. And she's like pleasantly surprised that I'm entertained watching this because <laughs> she to, you know, entertain me when I'll, while I'm stuck in the hospital all this time. Yeah. So she, she leaves it on there and I end up watching it. For the majority of the night, I, I don't really go to sleep wow. very much. And then I wake up and I start watching it again. And um, I have my my mom. This is before, uh, you know, Instagram and yeah. online recipes and all that stuff. So what they do is they flash the recipe at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. And I have my mom with a notepad right now so awesome. all the ingredients and stuff. Um, and that's kind of how I started accumulating recipes. Yeah. Uh, so when I go home, I, we take the ones that I, I really liked and we'd make them. And I remember one of the first ones we did, it was, um, do you, I don't know if you remember Rachel Ray's tasty travels. She'd go around all these places. It was usually within the United States, but sometimes she'd go international to like Europe and stuff. But there was this one mac and cheese that she had. It was a five cheese mac and cheese. And I, up until this point, I will admit, I, I didn't really have anything other than craft mac and cheese. So this was kind of like a very, you <laughs> worlds know, worlds apart. Oh man. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so <laughs> I remember that was one of the first dishes we made and I, uh, I, we made it and I, I thought it was amazing and it kind of just fueled my interest in food. And that's such a huge thing at that age to the idea that you created something like mm-hmm. whatever it is, like it can be arts and crafts or like other people, but like to know that you put in the time and effort, created something and it was worthwhile like that. Just even in that That's moment, so regardless cool. of what your situation was, even just as yeah. a kid that age, to to have this like very obvious creation of your own is awesome. Yeah, and I think that's why I think that's a very common reason why people enjoy food and enjoy making food is because you're you're making something, you know, you're creating something, and then getting to see the people's reactions to what you made is is a very gratifying feeling. Yeah. That's, um. That's crazy. So I just, I'm enamored with how you got hooked because like, like six, seven years old, that's like a funny thing to just get hooked. To yeah. So you know, do you, was it the idea of like creating food or were you attached to the personalities? Like what, what do you think drew you in at the start? Um, so, I mean, there's a couple of reasons. I mean, the personalities were very entertaining. I liked watching all the people that would eat the food. Um, but hospital food is notoriously not that great. Mm-hmm. So I was, I, I would not eat a lot of the hospital food. And then getting to see all this amazing food on TV, 
just kind of salivating over it, it kind of like it was a little bit of an incentive to want to get out of like already, you know, being hooked up. I wanted to get out of the hospital, but even more so like getting out of the hospital so that I could get this, like eat this food. <laughs> so who, so besides like Rachel Ray, I don't even remember who's popular. Cause like Emerald was popular before that. And my list of yeah, knowing who I, people I, are is very I a lot of Emerald, And the funny thing was, is I'm not currently um, just for a number of reasons, um, but uh, I kind of grew out of it. But I was yeah. allergic to shellfish at this time. Oh, and Emerald, man. he's from uh, Louisiana, yeah, New Orleans, so and he was like all shellfish. So I remember just watching him, and he'd make all these fantastic, you know, seafood dishes. But I just remember being like, oh, I, I can't eat that. <laughs> Um, but like, I remember Rachel Ray was great. Emerald was great. Uh, I remember Bobby Flay was one of them, was a big one at the time. Uh, and then, um, oh, Alton Brown. Alton Brown was a huge one. I loved Alton Brown. Oh, okay. What, yeah, good, what good, drew good, you to like, I love that show. So what, explain that a little more. I don't even remember who that is. I was not. Alton Brown. Alton Brown, he was kind of, so most of them, like, Rachel Ray, she had a couple shows. She did like, uh, Tasty Travels where she'd travel around. She kind of does what Guy Fieri does now, traveling around eating yeah. things, but she kind of did it first. Yeah. And she also had another show, 30 Minute Meals, where she'd make these pretty phenomenal meals in like 30 minutes. I don't know. I mean, it seemed pretty, <laughs> you know, candid. I mean, it could have been a little staged, but yeah. I remember I did a couple of them and it was, it was pretty close, like 45 minutes, yeah. you know, not super long. Yeah. Um, and then, like, Bobby Flay kind of had the more, like, traditional, um, you know, uh, demonstration uh, cooking shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also, one of the big ones was uh, Iron Chef. Yeah. That was a big one. Uh, I remember watching that. That was, like, the one of the first big food competition shows, I'd say. Definitely. Uh, and then uh, Alton Brown, he was kind of more of the, um, how do you say, like, the scientific approach. He... he he had very fun infographics and he was very explanatory of kind of the science behind the food. And I always mm-hmm. found that very fascinating. Um, I never really got super into like gastronomy or anything, but uh, it, it was very fascinating still. That's, that's awesome. So that, that kind of helps keep your spirits up and keeps you distracted. It keeps you like focused on something besides just being. Yeah. Initially, that's that. That was really what what, what it was. It was kind of keeping my spirits up. It was kind of keeping my mind off of all this stuff that I, you know, couldn't do. I couldn't play sports. I couldn't hang out with my friends. Um, and one of our our pastimes with my mom is uh. So when when you're under treatment, your immune system is very low a lot of the times from the chemotherapy because pretty much what they're doing is they're pounding your immune system down because what leukemia is and I, I should have explained this a little bit earlier but it's pretty much the overproduction of white blood cells in your bone marrow uh, so your bone marrow really doesn't know to stop producing white blood cells uh, and they start attacking things um, so what they're doing is they're pretty much beating your <laughs> immune system yeah. down so that they can treat it um, so one of the pastimes that we do is I'd love going to restaurants, but I couldn't go to restaurants when there was a lunch rush or the dinner rush. Yeah. So mm-hmm. me and my mom, we'd go at really like odd hours. We'd go at like, you know, three 30 or we'd go at like, you know, nine or when they're closing or when they're just opening and we'd eat dinner or lunch or a snack at one of these restaurants. I remember we went to like a Thai food place one time at like, <laughs> it was like, uh, 8:30, you know, yeah. and then we went for nine. Uh, we went to uh, like 
uh, a ramen place one time at like in the morning, you know, <laughs> not really morning food, but it was the only times I could really kind of go to these restaurants yeah, definitely. with not that many people in them. And so <clears throat> were you at Long Beach for all, for all of it? I mean, you mentioned being in Long Beach yeah, for at least um, the second one. So I was at Long Beach the first two bouts of leukemia, which yeah. we've kind of discussed. The the first one when I was two, and then the the, the one that we're talking about currently when I was six. Yeah. Uh, for my transplant, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute. Yeah. Uh, I was treated initially at Long Beach, but Long Beach doesn't do bone marrow transplants, so I was transferred over to UCLA. Got it. Um, Is that Long Beach Memorial or? Yeah. Yeah, Long Beach Memorial. Which I'll, I have some other things to say because currently doing some uh, business stuff with them too. Oh, awesome. Yeah, that's right down the street from us. Like we've known probably a ton of our people. We're born there. We know people who work there. I am very uh, close to a lot of the nurses at, during in the recovery area. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. So that's I, – I don't think I realize that. So that's pretty awesome, that connection. Yeah. Um, so – you said that one was about two and a half years. So you got out of that around nine-ish, nine years old? Yeah, but during during that, I mean, there's a couple more kind of significant events that took place. Yeah. Uh, so during my finding my, my love for cooking and all that, uh, my mom, who knew uh, one of the local restaurant owners here uh, in Southern California, offered his restaurant because he my mom had told him that I was really fascinated with food and I liked cooking. And he was like, Oh, you should do a, a charity event at one of these, at one of my restaurants. So he had multiple restaurants, yeah. uh, but there was one pretty close to our house, actually really close to our house that we, I ended up doing a charity event at, and I was the guest chef. So I helped make the, the menu for the night. I helped um, cook it. Um, but it ended up being a very big event. We started, we got like auction items. We did like a live auction. Uh, there was, it was a lot of people. I remember uh, the night. It, it took multiple months of planning. My my mom, she helped make the flyers, and mm. she was. A, I mean, I was only like six and a half at this time, so yeah. she helped do a lot of the legwork. Um, but I remember driving there, and I, I knew we had sent out a lot of invitations, and we had done a lot of work to help promote it. But uh, there was a line literally wrapped around the block to get in, wow. and it, it was full. It was it was sold out and it was really really cool it was really cool to see that all of these people were here supporting you know my my love for food and cooking but also supporting you know pediatric leukemia research because that's what mm-hmm. we were doing we were raising money for pediatric leukemia research so all the money that were put in for the ticket sales were donated to pediatric leukemia research like i want to say like that's a lot of faith for that many people to put in you cooking for them yeah for no, I mean, there, there was a full restaurant staff I, we, yeah. we went there a couple days before Obviously. we were prepping and stuff yeah uh and then I was in the kitchen doing some uh, some work cooking there too. Um, but it was really cool. We got a bunch of news coverage there. It was like Channel Four, Channel Seven. There was there was multiple news outlets there. There was a couple other interviews that I did in the kitchen. It was really cool. It was a great experience. It was actually so great that we did an, another event this, the following year. And that was kind of with the intention that uh, I think if we raised, I believe it was $50,000, we were pretty close. We were like a little over halfway there. Yeah. I think we raised 20 something thousand dollars. Um, but we could establish an endowment under my name for uh, 
pediatric leukemia research at Miller Children. So that was kind of the goal with the next event oh, is wow. we were trying to meet that goal to, to establish the endowment. So we did it again. It was a, it was a great success. I mean, it was sold out again. We had a bunch of news outlets were there again. Um, and from that, from that event, that second event, I was contacted by some national talk shows. Like I remember, so I did, this was, this was kind of on the tail end of my treatment yeah. towards the end of the two year mark. I, I have some pictures too of me during my first event. I was bald and it's not like you shave your head bald. When you're bald from chemotherapy, you are bald, bald. You are yeah, like, it, it does, it, it's a different kind of bald. Uh, but during my, the second event a year later, I had my hair back and I, I looked much more like a normal young, young kid. Yeah. Um, but I, I had started doing Taekwondo again. Uh, and, I remember my dad, we, he picked me up from, from the class and he got a phone call on his phone. I don't know how they got his phone, but it was a producer from the Tonight Show asking if I could be on the show what? in like a few weeks. And <laughs> I remember my dad was very, very excited and she called my, or he called my mom and she just started jumping up and dad, she started screaming. It was, it was a very, very cool, uh, little, little event. Were you on the Tonight Show? I was, yes. I, uh, I was on the Tonight <laughs> Show with Jay Leno. Oh, man, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. So, because I know I was a huge fan of Jay Leno and I watched pretty regularly, but I don't necessarily remember you being on. But he would have people come on to cook. So was it one of those things where you're like set up with the whole demonstration and you're going? Yeah, Jay, Jay Leno was funny too because he's a very uh, finicky palate. He he doesn't like vegetables. He's a very meat and potato <laughs> kind of guy. That does not surprise me. Yeah, I cooked uh, shepherd's pie on the Tonight Show. And I remember one of the big points of contention where there was peas and yeah. carrots in the shepherd's pie. And Jay Leno does not like peas and carrots because he doesn't like vegetables. So I, they wanted me to take them out. I'm like, no, it's part of the dish. I'm not going to take them out. I like how they're arguing with a little kid about the food he's got to make. Yeah. And I remember one of the things that I said, you know, peas are good for you, you got to eat your vegetables. And it was coming from a kid telling an adult to eat their vegetables. So it was kind of a little funny that's, joke. That's definitely an awesome visual. Yeah. But from that, too, I, I was on The Tonight Show, and then I actually ended up being on The Bonnie Hunt Show. Um, and I cooked turkey stroganoff there, and that was that was fun. Um, I love Bonnie Hunt. She seems like an awesome individual. She's super sweet. She's super sweet. I have no idea who that is. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I think that, I think Bonnie Hunt mattered a little bit more a little while ago. I think. Yeah, you know. It's not super recent, but yeah, yeah, she was super nice. And I kind of, from doing these two events and then starting to do these shows and I'd been cooking pretty continuously, um, I had accumulated a lot of recipes. So, I kind of made it my mission after that to start trying to do some sort of cookbook. Uh, and I didn't want to do like a self-published book, uh, because I mean, it, that would have been a lot of, you know, I, that's not really what I, my goal was. I wanted to get my book published. So I sought out like a book agent and we spent the next, oh, like year and a half year doing a book proposal. And once we submitted the proposal, um, we, we actually got a publisher with Chronicle Books. Uh, they're in San Francisco. They're a great publisher and, um, pretty, pretty well known. And, uh, another year and a half, two years later, we, um, published my book. But in between that, there's kind of some stuff that happened right when my book was going to print. Um, when I was 11, um, I actually relapsed again. So it was right during that time period when I was writing my book and it was going to print that I relapsed again with leukemia. So, 
really quick before we start going to that way, you mentioned yeah. an endowment at uh, Long Beach. What, for those of us who have no idea what that is or means or what it does, what's the significance of you achieving that goal and being able to do that? Um, I mean, it's kind of like your own little charity. It's under my name, so you can actually donate money under my name. A lot of all the money that I've raised has been kind of. I mean, you're, you're like a donor. You're a donor to the hospital. Um, and currently, I believe now, um, as of this date, I've raised over $150,000 for pediatric wow. leukemia research. And, uh, it was very, it was very, very nice when, um, they, so I was treated for my first three or, you know, the first, the three bouts that I, I had leukemia, I was treated in the old wing of the Long Beach, uh, pediatric Long Beach hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're building a new, huge facility uh and i actually spoke at what the ground big breaking ceremony for them when i because okay. i had just kind of finished my doing my charity work yeah i, I spoke at one of the uh, little launch events for the groundbreaking ceremony um they named a room after me it was the it's the chef jack witherspoon room yes at, uh, at, on the pediatric wing so it's uh it was very very cool i've, I've visited a couple times and said hi and um Actually, when I uh, launched my, my company, I went there and I handed out scones to, or the scones, which are a cookie and a scone, yeah. um, to the hospital patients um, and, and just kind of talked to them and, and uh, said hi to a lot of the nurses. That's such an incredible like opportunity and legacy. And I mean, we can kind of talk about that later, but we can talk about it now. The idea that I mean, it's cool to have your name on anything that is going to be seen and be like, yeah, that's my name. This is sweet. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the opportunity to for for kids who enter that and have no idea for them to be like, who's Chef Jack? And then they like yeah. get to look it up and like see, mm-hmm. you know, what you went through and what you've gone on to accomplish beyond that. Like that's such a testament. Like and it's obviously it's not about you getting recognition as much as it is the opportunity to inspire them to, you know, yeah. And I mean, my endowment too has kind of been the foundation of what it's kind of been the thread that's kind of run through my more recent things that I've done. Yeah. Like with my book, part of the proceeds for my book went to my endowment for pediatric leukemia research. Same with my company, part of the proceeds for my company go to pedi- yeah. my endowment for pediatric le- uh, leukemia research. That's incredible. That's amazing. Um, all right. So you mentioned you mentioned that right when your book was coming out is when you relapsed the third time. What, what was that like? I'm inclined to ask like the same questions again. How do you react to getting it a third time? What, where are you at with that? See, so my first bout or my first relapse of leukemia, I mean, it was, it was still kind of, it was out of the blue, but my mom had kind of suspected there was something wrong. I was kind of acting not super well for a little while so she thought was something was kind of maybe going on the thing with my second relapse of leukemia my third bout uh in total was it was incredibly like out of the blue my it was it was something no one really saw um because literally a week or less than a week prior to my di- my diagnosis with uh for relapsing i was in baseball i was in school, I was, uh, I was a catcher for my, my baseball team. I was, we were playing, we were doing practices and stuff. Um, I was cooking. I was a completely normal kid. And I mean, if you would have saw me, then you wouldn't have thought anything was wrong. Um, so when 
the when I went to just a very routine doctor's appointment I, at that point, I think I was doing just every six months. Um, and they said something looked off. It, it almost like it, it didn't really even worry me that much because it just seemed like maybe there was something that they messed up on or, yeah. you know, cause we, we had done this, a doctor's appointment and it was literally at the tail end when the doctor's office was kind of closing. Cause I was after school and everything. Um, so they said, come back again tomorrow come to this doctor's office it was so the doctor's office that i went to only is open a couple days a week he kind of has like a satellite practice that he does so we went to like the main office where he does most of his work um so we were i mean it was alarming but it wasn't something we're like oh i think that i have leukemia again it was just morally like this is weird this is kind of peculiar um so we went back and after getting my blood tested again they, the doctor who had been my doctor up until this point since I was two. Mm-hmm. Um, so he came into the room visibly sad, like visibly saddened. That's right. So it, I knew something was wrong. Yeah. Um, and he kind of sat us all down. My, my dad was there. My mom was there. I was there. We were all there. Uh, my brother was at school, but he was, he was like, nine and he was in elementary school he didn't feel like he had to be here for this um and he told me that i had relapsed again with leukemia which i was in fifth grade at this time i'd I'd been in school for a couple of years now i had a lot of friends i was you know in sports so this was very very devastating I, i i I didn't think anything like this was happening. I was actually studying in fifth grade. You have a, a test, a state's test. You have to do all the 50 states. And mm-hmm. I was missing it that day to go to this doctor's appointment. So I was studying for it because I had to make it up the next day. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I, you know, I, I've only seen my dad cry probably like three times. And yeah. this was one of them. It was, he, he literally grabbed me and, and put his head on my shoulder and started crying. And, um, getting it, getting leukemia for a third time is, I mean, it's not a guaranteed death sentence, but obviously it's not a guaranteed death sentence, but it, the likelihood of coming out of it, uh, alive and okay is, is very, very low. It becomes less than a 50, 50 shot. Wow. Like even though the first two times you got through it successfully and seemingly not like that. Yeah, because so the first two bouts of leukemia, they do not the same, but a similar protocol of just chemotherapy. And then the second bout, they do a more intense round of chemotherapy and a little bit of radiation for your second bout of leukemia, um, depending on what kind of where it relapses, because you can relapse to leukemia in different places. Um but for the third third bout of leukemia, uh, the protocol is completely different. You you have a bone marrow transplant, uh, and it's far far more intense. Um, the about a year, I, it, honestly, it was such a whirlwind of treatment. I spent, I got diagnosed in like June. I spent pretty much the entire summer in uh in the hospital. I remember I came home for a couple of days and on Fourth of July, um, and I just remember that. I was so weak, I, I could hardly get up the steps to go up to my house because uh, I was just getting bombarded with chemotherapy and radiation. Because pretty much what they do for uh, the third bout of leukemia is they kill 
every cell in your body, pretty much. They kill every immune system, immune cell, and they're pretty much since uh, leukemia or is the overproduction of white blood cells, and that's created in your bone marrow. They pretty much try to kill off your bone marrow with the intention of uh, replacing your bone marrow with a bone marrow transplant. Mm-hmm. So that was how I spent the majority of the summer up until about July in the hospital. And then I was transferred over to UCLA where I spent the remainder of the few months. I was in the hospital over three months, uh, it's over a hundred days. Um, cause I remember there's a, there's a point. So when you get your bone marrow transplant, mm-hmm. um, they start counting the days after your transplant. Um, and the hundred day mark is like the first goal that you meet that, you know, your, your bone marrow should be accepting. You should be starting to, um, you know, experience it's called graft versus host, yeah. which is the, um, rejection or the acceptance of the bone marrow. Um, so I remember spending an, a, a lot of time in this room that began to feel like a prison. Cause it's gotta be super clean. Like what's, what's that living environment like, right? Yeah, it's gotta know, be a clean room. I, Everyone's gotta go through a process to come in. I imagine. No, I, there was no visitors. It was, uh, oh, it was so <laughs> this, this whole like quarantine lockdown thing, just imagine that. But like, exponentially more like yeah. no visitors anyone that came into your room had like a hazmat suit on pretty much because your immune system is literally like zero yeah wow and it was like that for three months over three months over yeah. well yeah because you had 100 days wow it, it was it was over 100 days i was a little bit over the 100 days when i was released from the hospital and even when i was released from the hospital i spent most of my time just in my room i honestly um i was so tired and i i felt yeah. Like sleeping pretty much probably 14 hours out of the day, you know, I was, it was, uh, I didn't, I didn't really feel up to doing anything, even cooking really. I didn't even really like watching food or cooking because I, I couldn't do it at that time. Did you feel at the time like, I mean, obviously it's taking a physical toll, so it's easy for you to just physically be tired and stuff. Did that? also just play in to your mentality like is it super hard to be positive were you like angry frustrated uh, depressed like what was i can't you know as a what, 11 or 12 year old to just be stuck in your room forever that's... i mean I, I there was points that i was going crazy but i don't think i ever really felt depressed i was still very positive like i always kind of set my sights on the future of like there will be a point in time where i'm back to normal where i'm back to doing stuff again yeah. uh, and i really just kind of looked forward i was very forward looking and i really didn't dwell on things that had happened or things that are currently going on because i always felt like there would be a point in time where i'd be back to normal mm-hmm. how was that instilled in you i you know i don't know i i don't know if it's genetic or if it was my I mean, my parents were very, very supportive, but I mean, there were points in time where my parents were, you know, I, I think more depressed than I was. Yeah. Man. So what did coming out the other side of that look like? Like what was the process to finally like kind of reentering to feeling like things were starting to get back to normal? Was it easy? Like what did that look like? That's a very like hard question to answer because it's not like there was a day yeah. that like 
all of a sudden I was back to normal. It was such a gradual process. It was such a trickle of normalcy that there wasn't, I mean, looking back at it now, like, yeah, I'm back to normal. I'm, I'm more normal than I was before, yeah. you know, in, in a sense, I guess. But like, um, it was like just getting home was one part of it, you know, getting my hair back was part of it. Yeah. Then, you know, reentering school was part of it. But even when I reentered school, I reentered school. So I was, I was off of school in fifth grade. Um, and I missed all of sixth grade and I came back to seventh grade partially. I, I didn't take the full load of like six classes. What I ended up doing was I took half of the classes at school and I did the other half of classes with a home hospital. Um, so that was part of being normal was getting back to school. Um, and then there was kind of the more like superficial, like I, I was, I was, you know, there was less a threat to my health at that point when I was going back to school and everything. But now just like catching up maturity wise of like, I looked like I was still eight, you know, and then I, I was, you know, delayed on a lot of uh, very normal, every, you know, everything, you know, growing up and everything. So I, there was a lot of stuff that was delayed for me that I had to catch up on. Cause middle school is crazy enough. Yeah. <laughs> so let alone having missed out on all the social interaction and, like re-entering that, how, I mean, I want to ask, like, what were the other kids like? What were, like, obviously, if you have friends, they're going to be more supportive, but. You know, I had a very supportive community. I mean, my, my friends were very supportive, especially when I was in, in the hospital. Uh, and I had a, I had a few very, very good friends that would call me just about every day. And there was, there was a lot of, I was, I'm honest here that there was a lot of times where they'd call me and I, I, really, really appreciated them calling me, but I did not want to talk. I just felt so tired and yeah. so out of it that, you know, we talk and it's not like, I mean, I'm sure, you know, from being isolated and stuff, when you're stuck in the house all day, you don't have a whole lot to talk about, you know, <laughs> there's not a whole lot of conversation that can go on. There's, yeah. you know, yeah, what did I have for lunch today? Yeah. What TV show did I watch? You know, what's the weather outside? You yeah. know, it's not a whole lot of really, um, interesting conversation to talk about so i mean there'd be he'd talk to me about what i had a couple of very good friends and you know they'd tell me what they did in school and what's going on and everything and kind of keep me in the loop a little bit but um yeah you know there was times where i didn't even want to talk to my friends i mean that there's times when i don't want to talk to my friends and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> things are fine um, yeah. man so what what did the passion for cooking look like during that time? Like you said, you were a lot of times too tired to even deal with cooking. But how did did that play kind of an equal role in just keeping you motivated? Yeah, I mean, and busy? Kind of, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're good. Um, it kind of served as more of like a motivational tool to like get back to cooking and get back to enjoying food. Uh, that was kind of the role it played in my uh, last bout with leukemia, um, but. I, I was still cooking. I still enjoyed watching food when I, when I, or food shows when I could. Um, but when I started feeling better, that's when I started really getting back into it. And I started going on some more TV shows. I ended up getting, when my book was published, I ended up getting to be on the Rachel Ray show. Uh, I was on, uh, so what's I ended it up, like to like be instilled, like have Rachel Ray be one of the reasons that you got hooked and then yeah. all of a sudden you're on her show. <laughs> See, that was crazy. a very like surreal <laughs> experience. I mean, <laughs> um, it was 
the first time I met her too, it was um, <laughs> it was a surprise. So oh, I originally, yeah. so I'd never been to New York before, yeah. and New uh, and uh, the Rachel Ray show, her show that she she uh, airs it on ABC, I think. Um, she wasn't doing something. It was something. It was a show not on the Food Network at yeah. the time. Um, but she she films it in New York, and I went to New York with the intention of doing some sort of. I don't. I was I was eleven. I was tw- I was eleven or twelve. So I don't know what I was thinking. And I went to New York with the intention of doing some sort of book signing and doing some sort of like news show or something. Yeah. There'll be like some. My mom said there'd be some sort of news thing there. And I said, okay, yeah, that sounds great. I'd love to go to New York. I'd love to do a book signing. I'd love to see what's going on in New York. I, it was one of my dream places because the Food Network is located or it's it's based in New York. So a lot of the restaurants and stuff that they feature would be in New York and I could not go to these restaurants. So it always annoyed me that I couldn't go to a lot of these restaurants <laughs> that they were featuring because I, I don't live in New York. I live on the other side of the country. Um, so I was really, really excited to be able to try some of these restaurants that I've been wanting to for a long, long time. Um, so but we went, we ended up doing the book. I ended up doing the book signing and there was a line of people. Um, and then I remember I was, I was signing a book and then I look up and Rachel Ray is like walking towards me and I'm like, what is going on? This is, this is am I like dreaming? Like what's going on? And she's like, Hey Jack, how's it going? And I'm like, hello, how's it going? That is overwhelming. Yeah. And she gives me a book to sign for her and I'm already like in shock at this point. And yeah. she's like, how about you come to my studio and go on my, and be, you want to be on my show right now? And I'm like, sure. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> So I remember being whisked off yeah. with these people that I thought were part of like this news crew doing for this interview and they were part of the Rachel Ray show and it was all a ruse to uh, get me on the show. That's incredible. Yeah, it was really cool. I it was a lot of fun. A lot a lot of fun. Man. So so now so that had concluded kind of the third well I mean you don't have to go into detail if you don't want but like in terms of a bone marrow transplant what is what does that even look like like i've yeah. heard i mean obviously it's come up and you know you talk about different people that have gone through stuff or you know that kind of thing is said on doctor shows all the time but like to actually physically experience that what for those of us who have no idea like what does that look like yeah it's um i mean it's all more anticlimactic than you might think. It's not really even a procedure. I mean, the buildup for it is pretty intense, mm-hmm. but the actual uh, bone marrow transplant is kind of like a blood transfusion. Okay. It, it's like the equivalent of a blood transfusion. It's when they when they brought it in, um, they like they they do the procedure on the person because the the procedure to get the bone marrow is um, um it's like a pretty you have to be out and they like stick needles in you and they take the bone marrow. But um, getting the bone marrow, it's like getting a blood transfusion. It kind of looks almost like thicker blood. It, it's kind of weird. But, you know, I got it. I remember, I think, at like 11 o'clock at night, and there was like five doctors in the room because they have to monitor you during this procedure to make sure that nothing goes wrong. There's no complications or anything. Um, so I remember there was like five doctors in my room, and it was like 1130 at night, and I was in my room or in the, in the room playing a video game. And then they were like, okay, looks like um, – you're good. We'll uh, we'll see you in the morning. You know, that's got to be scary. <laughs> you're like, wait, it yeah, takes five of you right now, and then all of a sudden you're all gone. 
Well, they, they, they monitored me through the night, yeah. but like the, the five doctors that were there, like, okay, looks like, uh, you're, you're good. Uh, we'll monitor you through the night and we'll check on you in the morning. <laughs> and then from that point, then it's just, they're, they don't give you any more chemo or radiation after that point. After you get the transplant, it's all about your recovery. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Just, yeah. Cause the word transplant makes it sound like surgery. There's a lot of stuff going yeah. on, but on your Yeah. Own, I mean, if you were to get like a kidney transplant or something, it would be a, a surgery, yeah. but bone marrow transplant kind of unique where it's not actually a surgery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was trying to picture like, how would they do that for like a surgery? Like, yeah. Would they like cut you open and like cut your bone open too? Like that seems like it's so much. <laughs> yeah. So like it's, I don't really know. Like I said, I'm not pre-med. Yeah, I don't really no. know how the science behind it works, but it is structured like a blood transfusion. And I believe mm-hmm. in a similar sense, cause I know, so I got a bone marrow transplant, but another option that was available, but wasn't as, um, I guess, uh, widely used, but I think it's becoming more and more used now is a stem, tra- uh, stem, uh, cell transfusion. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, I think it works in a similar sense that, the stem cell transfusion, you know, they just give it to you like a uh, intravenous IV of uh, like a blood transfusion. And it, it just kind of finds its way to your bone marrow because they're bone marrow cells. So they kind of find their way to the, the bone marrow. Got it. Mm. Well, you've you've mentioned a lot that like the role that your mom has played. And you've kind of mentioned to this me in the past just how how critical she was through all this kind of give us a bigger picture of like what, what is her role in not just being your mom, but being like your number one advocate through all of this. What does that meant to you? What does that look like? Yeah. My, my mom's gone above and beyond uh, the whole, the duties of a, of a mom. I, I don't think she, no one ever signs up to go through all this when they mm-hmm. decide to be a mom. Yeah. But my mom uh, really was there supporting me. I mean, she was, um, at the hospital pretty much 100% of the time. I mean, I think she went home every once in a while to shower and brush her teeth, but, you know, she was there right next to me in my bed almost the entire time. So she went through a lot of the same things I went through. She was really a huge advocate for me getting, you know, medications and stuff that I needed. And then especially, um, you know, after my treatment and everything, trying to recover and be normal kid there's a lot of you know drugs and stuff that i needed that weren't necessarily covered by insurance because it wasn't part of my direct treatment but it was stuff that was caused by my treatment that i needed and she was a a huge help you know talking to insurance agencies and getting that stuff covered and dealing with all the financial stuff um so i I give my mom and a tremendous amount of of credit and like i couldn't not i would not be here with without her help has she played what what role? Because obviously she did a lot with the fundraising and stuff, and and with yeah. all of that, is she does she have like a professional role as manager or anything like that? Like what what does that look? You know, it's a very informal role. Uh, <laughs> she 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 wears a lot of hats. Um, she was a huge part in getting all of my fundraisers organized when I was little. A huge part in helping um, communicate and articulate my ideas when I was writing my book. Uh, and she was even a pretty large part of, uh, getting my company started and getting it off the ground because when I started the, when I started my company, which I'm sure we'll talk about in just a second, um, I was 17, so I couldn't sign a lot of legal documents because I was under the, under 18. Um, so she was a huge uh, help in getting that started too. Um, but she has been my advocate both, um, you know, through all my treatment, but she's also been a, a huge, um, factor to profession, you know, my professional success cooking and, and doing all in my book and all that stuff. 
that's that's incredible. Like you said, no no parent signs up to have parenting no. is hard enough. No. Parenting no, no. is hard enough day to day. Yeah. Let alone that. So that's props to your mom, and, obviously. Yeah, and, and one huge um I, I can't thank her enough that you know, there was a lot of so I experienced a tremendous amount of chemotherapy and radiation. Uh and you you do even more um for when you get a bone marrow transplant. My mom was was big on limiting the amount of radiation that I was exposed to because she knows that uh, I can you can suffer cognitively from it. Um, so I'm very thankful for her for doing that because I mean, I, uh, I don't feel like I have suffered a tremendous amount from the cognitive, uh, complications of it. I've been very lucky in that sense. That's awesome. Yeah. So, um, I, I got a question. It's kind of more of a personal in a way. Um, my mom actually was just, was diagnosed with cancer earlier this year and so like that and it's her first time going through all of it and kind of is a big deal. What kind of encouragement would you give someone that's kind of going through it? Uh, I think a huge factor to my outlook on life was, and getting through it was being very forward looking. Uh, it's very easy to dwell on like the situation that you're currently in um, and to ask why and like, you know, um, it doesn't seem fair and, you know, it, in reality, it's not. There's nothing fair about it. But and you, you to get through it, I think you have to be positive. You have to be positive. And you have to be forward looking. You have to look at the time where, like, you know, I'm gonna be hanging out with my friends, or going out to dinner, or playing sports, or getting back to, you know, playing baseball or basketball or gardening or whatever you want to do. Um, and I think having that motivation uh, makes it. I, I I you know there's modern medicine is amazing, but I think. Mm-hmm your mental um, strength and your mental outlook on, on the situation is a huge part in your recovery. Hmm. You know, and then I, I think on top of that, living healthily too, you know, eating well and doing all that stuff is extremely important. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Um, so you get, you get through this point. Of, of you've made it through that whole process. Um, when, when were you finally cleared? Like what, is that ever a thing that actually happens? Like, or, you know, what does that look like? I feel like a lot of people think that there's like a date or a time or like a moment or like an event where the doctor's like, you are cured. You don't have to worry about anymore. But there's never at that point. And especially when you relapse with something, there's never a point where they're like, you are cured. You're, you don't have to do it or don't have to do this anymore. There's always follow up. Uh, the follow up becomes less and less frequent. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty much just every year. I, I, I think I, I do every, I do every six months because I do one other follow up for something else. Um, but it just becomes everything about your recovery is so gradual that there's no moment that you're like, Oh, I'm back to normal, you yeah. know? That's. Because it does, it feels like there are times when people say like, or it's been five years, it's been whatever, like you're there, good. There is that, there, there are milestones, like yeah. five years is a big milestone. Uh, that is kind of the point where people oftentimes say that, you know, your likelihood of relapsing is like everyone else's. But there's no, like, that's just kind of like a general rule. It's not necessarily like you are cured now. Got it. 
So what? Yeah, that was another. Sorry. Go, no go. That was another thing I was kind of wondering. Like even after like the bone marrow transplant and everything, is it still possible to relapse again? Yeah. Um. It it, it is. Uh. Usually, if you do relapse, though, it is within the first year. Okay. So what like what would be how long would you say it's been for you? Like, you know, people have the markers. So, like, when is the marker of, like, it's been so long since this point? You know, it's it's been, I think, over eight years since my transplant now. Um, but I got to say, like, it's only been these last few years, these last three years that I've, three, maybe four years that I've really felt like I've, I'm normal and that I'm back to where I was. So it was a long recovery process. And even though, you know, I haven't had leukemia um, for over eight years now, um, the recovery process for that has been mm. a long one. What? I was, oh, sorry. No, go. <laughs> <laughs> I lost track. Go ahead. <laughs> We're very good at this communicating with each other about when to do that. <laughs> Um, so looking back on the whole process, it's really intriguing to me. I consistently ask people like, what's it like to have lived like, live life like this? I think of that like when, when I know people who have like nine siblings, I'm like, what is life like with nine siblings? Like I yeah. was an only child till I was 11. So the mm -hmm. idea of growing up surrounded by people to me, I'm like, what was life like? And they're like, I, it yeah. was life. I don't know. <laughs> like that's, it yeah. seems. It's all very normal. Yeah. yeah. So for you, like you have obviously had a very different experience obviously with going through the cancer stuff, but as a result of that, you know, the cooking and doing these shows and, and having like an interrupted education, what do you like reflect on that all in terms of your life looked very different than the normal kid to teenage life? Does that, are you like stoked about it? Are you kind of like, ah, I wish things would have been different. Like what, where are you at that when you look back on how your life compares to your peers? Yeah. Um, I mean, I've never wished for anything else because I haven't known anything else. Yeah. I, I kind of, I feel like there's always some sort of purpose behind it. I mean, and whether that be like there's an actual, there's an objective purpose for it, or I, I morally believe that you have to find purpose within, you know, the circumstances or the events that's given to you. Um, but I, I think that was a huge part of why I don't necessarily like, wish that this had never happened or anything. I, I feel like I've really grown and learned as a person a lot faster and at a lot earlier age than a lot of people, Definitely. you know, things about, you know, humility, things about, you know, not taking things for granted, um, just perseverance um, have all kind of been ingrained in me at a very, very early age. And being positive is one of them as well, too. Is there any part of the process that if you could go back, you would like shift maybe one event or one decision or anything? Um, I mean, there's nothing really within my control that I, I think that I could have changed. Yeah. I mean, there was some kind of, I felt like unnecessarily complication, unnecessary complications that I experienced after my transplant that really did, had in my mind, no purpose other than just kind of delay my recovery. Yeah. Um, there was a point where I was actually more at threat from one of the complications that I was experiencing than any point in my treatment. Got it. Um, so
So moving kind of into the faith part of this, you've mentioned that your faith has played a role in your whole experience. What did that look like for you? What were obvious ways that you were relying on God, seeing him at work? Like what, what was going on with you with that? Yeah. I mean, it, it did, it did definitely play a role in it. Um, being, I was very much in the moment with all of this, like recovering and everything. So I think, like I said, everything kind of happens for a purpose. And, you know, I was definitely, you know, there for a reason. I was trying to, you know, I was learning from it, but I, what, what role it played. I mean, there's, there was so much like good or I, even though it was such a, like a, a terrible time, there was so much good around me with like my friends and my family being just very supportive. I mean, my, my friends would come with like food and like, you know, toys and like things to do. And it was, I, I feel like that was probably the most objective thing, just seeing all this good in such a terrible time in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I am religious, but I'm not like someone, I, I don't, I can't say that I go to church every weekend or anything. Um, but it is something that I, I've thought about uh, a lot and it has made me, I feel like grateful for the situation that I'm in that, you know, I was given this chance and I feel like, you know, being able to recover from all this, I was given this chance and it really puts, it's a little bit of pressure, but it's also, you know, I think, uh, my responsibility to make something good out of something so negative because people have put a lot of, you know, effort and, and support into me. So I feel like I have to make something good out of it. So that's what you meant by pressure is like you, you have felt that you have been so invested in by so many people. There's so many people that have done so much for me that I feel like it's only right for me to do something, you know, either in the world or for them in return. I feel like it's, um, it's not so much like, you know, a huge, like a bad pressure. It's, it's a good pressure. It's a motivating yeah. pressure for me to do something positive. Is there any, I mean, this kind of mildly loaded question. Is there any pressure to do that before God? And I mean, that's obviously going to matter, you know, where you're at, but do you feel like, man, God pulled me through this. So now I have to like, <laughs> It, it does me well to serve God with what I do moving forward. Is, is there any aspect of that at all? Like, I mean, that, that depends on what your personal faith is. Think about, but I feel like, uh, just the, what you're saying and what I believe, I, I believe that like, if, since I was, you know, I was pulled through all this, you know, a lot of love and faith, you know, pulled me through this. Um, I, I feel like, it's only right to return that and do something that, you know, returns the love you know, to the world and do doing something positive. I mean, I, I don't think about it necessarily in that exact wordage yeah. in my head, but it is something that I, I want to do good in the world, you know, for, for people, but yeah, you know, I guess you could say for God too. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't trying to like put that on you of like, you should yeah. do this. I just, some people that is, their philosophy on it a lot of times when they go through this they think like man god did all this so now like i need to be on fire for god and that's not necessarily in my understanding of my faith that's not necessarily how god wants it of like well now that i did something good you have to make sure you do good for me like that's not so i wasn't trying to put that on you no it's not see i don't really think about it like that it's more 
because, you know, I feel like part of the reason, like, there, there's going to be some purpose, there's got to be some purpose for all of this and finding the purpose and doing something meaningful because of it. I, I feel like it's just something that came very natural to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Um, so moving into the professional side of things, we've kept, we've kept alluding to what you're doing now and what the future looks like in this company you have kind of give us a brief, where are you at? What are you doing? What's this company you have? What are you producing? Yeah. Um, so, um, most recently, my most recent endeavor has been the creation of my company, Chef Jacks. Um, and we, so Chef Jacks, we, it's a food company. We produce scones. They're a cross between a cookie and a scone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, my mission with scones, as much as it is to be like a successful company, is also to, you know, keep with my philanthropic thread that I've done throughout my, my career with raising money for charity to my book with part of the proceeds went to charity to now um, part of the proceeds for my company also go to charity as well too. Um, and we've done it not only in raising money, but we're also targeting, you know, patients and nurses and everything by one of my main goals when I started this company was to get into hospital cafeterias mm-hmm. Um because I felt like that's where I could connect the most uh, with these people was in not necessarily on grocery store shelves because a lot of these people are stuck in the hospital. Um, And I think being in hospital cafeterias really puts me at the forefront of helping to spread my message to, you know, of perseverance, of hope, you know, to do something good. Um, It's, it's very funny, you know, just a couple of days ago. So my, um, my transplant doctor and he's, he's kind of become a friend with me now too. I've actually had breakfast with him a couple of times when, um, I'm doing some deliveries at, cause our, our, our cookies are located at UCLA Medical Center. We're also at, uh, Torrance Memorial, uh, Little Company of Mary, San Pedro Peninsula Hospital and a couple others. Wow. Um, but I've, I've done, I do my own deliveries to these uh, hospitals and we, I've had breakfast with him and he told me that, um, one of his patients, uh, who's undergoing a transplant, um, bought one of my cookies. Um, and he was so inspired that he looked me up and he told my doctor that he was really inspired by me. And he said, it was so funny because he was my patient. That's like, those are some of the things we're talking about. Like the ability to, I, I I was, I almost cried. It was, it was really, really sweet. That's incredible. And it's those kind of moments that motivate me to continue to do this. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, so, so right now, sconies are the focus. When you talk about being in hospitals, it's like supplying them with this. Is there, is yeah. there kind of a more overview of like maybe trying to improve hospital food in general? Is there like reforms for that, or is there you like producing more things that they can have? You know, what, what does that I, look like? I'm, I'm starting to take it like one step at a time. I mean, my company is probably my biggest priority right now. I want to get into, we're only still in a handful of hospital cafeterias. We're also in some like grocery stores and some markets too, but very locally. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found that my product most identifies with people in these cafeterias because a lot of these markets, 
you know, there's so many new products all the time. And a lot of these people are going for their, you know, necessities and stuff that it's very easy to get lost in the crowd with all these other products. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I've made it my mission to get into all these cafeterias. And we're currently actually working with uh, Miller Children's Long Beach, yeah. uh, where I was treated for my first two bouts of leukemia. We're currently trying to get into their cafeteria, and we're also doing a, an event with them. Um, so Sodexo, they're this uh, distribution company for hospital cafeterias, and they're doing a uh, – a nurse and doctor uh, appreciation day and we're supplying them with 2,500 bags of scones uh, that I'm going to be handing out to all the nurses and doctors and some patients too, um, just thanking them for all their service. So, so what's the process for that even look like? Do you just show up at a hospital and go, Hey, we have really tasty stuff that we want you to have. <laughs> Try it. Like, what does that, what does that look I like? I mean, it has been a little bit of cold calling, but I mean, for the most part, um, I, throughout kind of all that I've done, I've had some connections through doctors and stuff that have been really, really supportive of trying to help me get in, make connections with these other hospitals. Um, but yeah, there, there has been a, a couple of times where we've been like, I'm Jack, I'm, you know, a three-time leukemia survivor. I currently have a company. Part of the proceeds go to pediatric leukemia research. I'd love to talk to you about maybe, uh, carrying my product in your cafeteria, you know, and we make it with these people. And, um, yeah, it, it, it happens sometimes. That's what you got to do sometimes. Is there an approval process that they have to go through? Like, do they, what, or is it just yeah, like yeah, whether yeah. they decide I, this is worth their time or not? Like what? Yeah, I mean, sometimes they don't email you back. Sometimes I get referred to people that don't email me back. But you just got to keep persistent and you got to get in contact with the right person. Um, a lot of the times we'll meet them and uh, they'll try them and tell me if they like them or not. And yeah. um, they'll, well, if they do like them, they'll talk more about you know placement and merchandising and what I'll have to do. Um, but there, there is an approval process, but it's morely, it's more on the spot. If if they don't like them and they don't want to you know, mess with you, then they'll just be like, I'm not really interested. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So what is a scone? How did you come up with it? What, how did that whole, out of everything you've cooked a million different things. Yeah. What what decided, how did you get to the point where this is (laughs) where I'm going all in right now? And and yeah, I mean, I'd always really wanted to do my own company. Um, I actually have a really, really good um, sugar cookie recipe in my cookbook that I, uh, that I make already. Um, but I, I didn't want to just do another cookie. Um, cookies also are, I, I felt like an easier route to go. Cause I mean, doing like frozen foods or something, there's a lot more logistical stuff that goes into it. Yeah. I'm not saying doing cookies was easy cause it was definitely not. <laughs> um, but it was the easiest thing that we could test, like I could test in my kitchen and my mom was a uh, help in there and my, my brother and my dad were great taste testers for, uh, we, we were, I was shelf life testing these guys and taste testing them for about a year and a half. I actually started this, uh, my summer of my junior year in high school uh, and we didn't launch until my freshman year of college. That's something that intrigues me that I think a lot of people wouldn't understand because it's not like you just developed this recipe and made it no. and you're like, okay, no, no. We, tomorrow we can start sending them out. It was not an overnight thing at all. It was many, many, many months of testing. And uh, I remember we I, we have like boxes with dates and Mylar bags of different variants of the cookies to see, you know, they're all very similar, but which one would hold up the best for shelf, shelf life testing, excuse me. Yeah. Is that so? Is that something that you have to go through, like the FDA on? Like, what does that even look like? Yeah, it's really funny. I mean, I think a lot of people think that like a lot of these big 
I mean, I, I, there's more, much more, I'm not saying it's not, it's much more scientific. <laughs> no, companies. you're just throwing but, stuff out there and no one's checking. <laughs> I, I'm sure, there's more regulation, I'm sure, for these larger companies, but like the startup companies especially, there's not a huge amount of regulation when it comes to shelf life testing them. There's a lot <clears throat> relying on, you know, the companies that, you know, if your date's not good and the comp- and the consumer gets it and you get sued or you get, they get sick or something, you know, it's more on them. Uh, there's a lot more responsibility on the customer, but there's a lot of things that I, I wish I knew going into this. I mean, one of the big key things for um, getting into grocery stores is they want you to have a six month shelf life. And that's something that we're, I was kind of made aware of later in the game. Oh. Um, but luckily we, we do, we, we do meet that, but you know, it was something that I was, there was a point where it was a, a little bit of a, or a discouraging factor because currently the ones we had, we, we actually had to reformulate a little bit to meet that criteria. That, that makes sense. So what is, what does production look like? Are you literally making and packaging all of them or is that no, sent somewhere? When you say you have to provide 2,500, that's a long no, time in the kitchen. Right My oven is not big enough. <laughs> <laughs> I do not have a commercial kitchen by any means. Um, no, we, we have a co-packer in Costa Mesa that manufactures and produces them. Um, you know, as a, as a um, startup, we are co-packers. It's more along the lines of like a commercial bakery. Um, but I will be labeling and doing stuff for these for this order in particular. A lot of the times, uh, when this is actually not my first time doing this, we've done something very similar with Little Company of Mary for their Christmas per, uh, Christmas. Uh, party where I did like, I want to say like 2000 or so of these, uh, little cellophane, uh, they're like taste testers. They're like taste bags of cookies. Uh-huh. There's not, it's not the full amount. It's a few, f- few cookies in the label, and but I you, will be, I will be putting the labels on for these guys. Yes. That's, <laughs> that's a, that's a bit of grunt work there. I'll grab, grab a friend and we'll, uh, do that for, for a night. <laughs> And you've had a few appearances at various places, like you'll set up in a shop or in a store or something here and there. What precedes that? Yeah, and uh, before all this happened, we when we get into like these hospital cafeterias, we'd also do like a, a little launch event where I'd go there with my uh, table and my um, you know advertising stuff, and I'd give out samples and and tell people about it and really kind of spread the word within the uh, the hospital. And a huge part of it, I think through our success in these cafeterias has really been spreading the word with the doctors and the nurses because they're the people that are there every day. They're the people that are can really say, you know, tell their patients and everything about my product. So you have so tell tell the people how to get it. <laughs> We've talked about it a lot. How does somebody acquire a Chef Jack scone? Well, hopefully you're not in the hospital if if you are, you know, <laughs> that's you know but if you do want to get them, you can, we also, we actually launched online initially. So you can get them at chefjackskitchen.com. Um, and we sell them online in packs of four, eight and 12, and you can get a combo pack too. So you can get two and two, four and four, or six and six. Um, and there's two flavors. There's a vanilla bean and a cinnamon sugar. Um, so I recommend trying them both if you can. Jack has experience with me being annoying and being like, how do I get these? What do I do? <laughs> Bro, there's a website. Go to the website. Leave me alone. Um, you know, and a lot of people ask, like, are they organic? They're, they're not certified organic, but there's no artificial preservatives or flavors. They're pretty much how you make them at home. Nice. nice. 
Yes. Do you plan on adding more flavors in the future, or is that yeah, kind that of is, that a is secret? Probably, <laughs> that is something we are we are planning in the future for sure. I like will. A nice like holiday <laughs> blend for like the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> Some eggnog, nutmeg going on. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. We'll see. I will attest that very early on, I was like, ah, oh, this. I'm not. I'm not like a pastry person. I wouldn't necessarily call them a pastry. I don't know. I don't know what the distinctions are. Um, I am a cookie person. I'm not necessarily a scone <laughs> person because scones mm-hmm. generally to me feel like a little dry or whatever. And, yeah. And upon eating the first one, I was like, ah, oh, this might be a little too dry for me. And then I got to like the third one. And I said, ah, oh, no, these are actually really good. <laughs> I'm glad you like so, Yeah. yeah some they, people, they, they get turned off because some people don't like scones, um, which is understandable, but they're a cross between a cookie and a scone. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're moister than a scone for sure. And they're, they're less dense too. And I'm not generally a cinnamon person because a lot of times cinnamon is overwhelming and it is yeah. not. This is like the perfect amount of cinnamon flavor and I'm all in on the scunnies. Um, what, what else, like, so are you long term focused on doing the hospital thing and developing just scunnies more? Is there like, do you have more cookbook ideas that you want to do? Do you have other products that are like five, 10, 20 years down the line that your goal? Like, yeah. what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, I mean, this has been a very interesting journey. I mean, my, you know, my health journey and my, my love for cooking, it's all kind of evolved and changed a little bit throughout my life. I mean, food is still a huge part of my, my life. And, you know, obviously having a food company, I, I still cook and bake and stuff quite often, but I really, especially these last, uh, like two years, I really fell in love with the kind of business aspect of it, of, of having a company, managing it, talking to people, uh, engaging with people, uh, promoting it, you know, doing all this has, has really kind of sparked this love for, for, um, entrepreneurship and, and doing that kind of thing. So I, I want to continue my company and, you know, potentially have more products uh, in the future, more flavors, uh, continue to grow it, um, maybe start something new eventually too. Um, but, I'm still, you know, I'm still in school. Yeah. I'm still juggling this kind of a little bit too. But my my goal, I'm so I'm a junior in college currently. Uh, but these next like two years, I'm I'm really focused on growing my company into, you know, large as it possibly can, getting new accounts and new flavors and all that stuff. That's. It makes the entrepreneurship side obviously that's how you started it, but it makes sense based on how you conduct yourself how composed you are like if you're listening and want to see him do interviews you can easily look him up and see him appear on these shows and even as a little kid like you are confident you're conversational like there's no point where you seem nervous or like you don't know what you're talking about you're all in and so i think yeah, that's a really I think good that was quality the, <laughs> that was one benefit of like starting to do all these stuff at a very early age is that i'm very comfortable talking to people because you know i uh, some I've been talking like doing interviews and stuff since I was literally six, yeah. so I, I enjoy it. But um, I, I'm con- I'm very excited to see where all this will take me in the future. Do you envision a point? You can choose to not answer. You know, whatever. Do you envision a <laughs> point where you are like, I'm kind of over talking about this, <laughs> like where you just want it to be about what you're creating and what the future is like i felt bad asking you to come on here because i'm like he's had to have told his story a million times now he's telling it to somebody doesn't even know like what (laughs) what is that 
I just, I, cause I know what it's like being my height. I know what it's like to have the same conversation with a million people all the time. I'm sure people always ask you like, wow, you're so tall. How tall are you? You yeah. know? Like, so like, so there, and most of the time I'm gracious. Like I, uh-huh. I, you know, I understand and it's totally normal, but there are times when I'm like, I just don't want to talk about this anymore. Yeah. I need a couple of days off. Leave me alone. So, yeah, I mean, I, I have told this story a lot of times and I kind of have made it sort of like a challenge in myself that I have told it so many times. How many ways can I tell it? Yeah. How many more unique ways can I tell it? So I don't feel like I'm boring myself talking about it. Um, that is kind of one thing that I've tried to do throughout my years of telling my life journey. And the thing is too, that it's kind of evolved as well. Talking about my life is very, um, you know, it's very plastic. It's very, it's, it's always changing. And, you know, there are events in my life, but even the way that I look back on my life and, you know, things that I've taken from it has changed throughout the years. Mm-hmm. So it, it doesn't really get stale or boring in the sense that I don't want to talk about it, but it, it definitely, if you were to ask me a lot of these questions, even a few years ago, it, my mentality and my outlook would be different than what I'm saying today. And it probably will be, you know, three or four years from now. That, that makes sense. I think we should all kind of have that outlook on our life of, Asking me how I'm doing today versus how I'm doing tomorrow should be different answers because yeah. you're not the same person day to day, year to year. Um, two, I have two kind of last big picture ish questions. I don't know, Jake, if you want to ask any of your questions, uh, when we get there, but in between, I'll ask the first one and then you say if you want to. Okay. Cause I have one that I immediately <laughs> thought of. Um, if there was, and you've kind of, we've talked about looking back on things and stuff, but if there was one thing you could go back and tell your younger self at any point, what would it be? I've gotten this question a lot. I, you know, I feel like I always give a slightly different response. I mean, just knowing the fact that you're going to be okay, like having myself tell me something that you're going to be okay is an incredibly reassuring um, thing. But at the same time, I don't know if I would have been the same person, if I would have gotten the same thing out of it, knowing that I'd just be okay. I might, you know, not be, I might still take things for granted. You know, I might not be, have the same outlook on life. Yeah. Um, but I think like advice wise, I mean, just, just really looking forward and having, having that goal or having that like, you know, thing like, for me, when I was in the hospital a lot, cooking became that thing that I could do when I couldn't do anything else. So having something like that is incredibly important. So, you know, if I was talking to myself younger or someone else, you know, telling that person or myself to find that thing, if I didn't know it was cooking yet, to look for it would be something that I, I would give to what I would tell myself because that has really been something that I believe has contributed significantly to my success. Awesome. Jake? Um, so right off the top of my head, the first kind of thought was, have you ever thought of kind of like writing things down, like and maybe like publishing a book eventually of the kind of your journey of how you went through things and like yeah. how you're slowly getting to a place where you have a large influential area? Yeah, I mean, that is something to consider. I, I still feel like I'm still growing and still like yeah. – developing a lot of the the my outlook on life and you know my achievements and stuff are still growing i don't feel like i'm done so i don't feel like of course i have enough um 
like credibility to, to really reflect on it and just say, this is how it is. And this is, you know, the things that I've gotten out of my life, but I, I definitely would love to do something in the future. You know, I'd love to write a book or, you know, sorry, that's my phone. One good. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, live radio, nothing like it. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. Um, but I, I'd love to do a book or, or, you know, help teach, you know, people maybe go, or help, talk to people going through similar experiences. That's uh, something I I'd, I'd definitely love to do. I mean, I already have kind of done a similar thing going to, you know, hospitals and yeah. doing out my product and stuff and really talking to people about what they're going through because I've gone so- through something very similar. Mm. I mean, all, all cancer journeys are, are, are different. Don't get me wrong. I mean, no. there's different complications, different treatments that you undergo, but I feel like there is a sense of like community within the cancer uh, or, you know, the survivor or the, um, the patients, excuse mm-hmm. me. Um, because I, I've talked to other patients and I'm actually friends with a person who went through not exactly what I went through, but a very similar treatment of leukemia. Um, he relapsed once and, uh, there's just a, a special kind of bond, you know, a special kind of, uh, mentality that you have that it's not really, found in, in people that, you know, it's just, it gives you a, a different perspective on yeah, life. Definitely. I, I would just, this is a non thing at all. I just love the fact that you have a house phone or something in that ring. <laughs> that is great. My parents have a house phone. I do not know. <laughs> it just gets sales calls and I don't know why we have <laughs> it. Like I looked at the number, it was some, you know, like, I don't know. They Some, just like, they just don't weird, exist very weird often. Number that <laughs> is not not any of my friends, not my parents. <laughs> that happened. I was watching my parents' house last week, and the phone rang. I was there. I was like, "There should be no one calling this house right now. This is bonkers." But, yeah, I think the only one that calls my house phone is my dad. Like, if if I see his number, I'm like most like if I pick up the phone, it's usually because it's my dad's calling the house phone. And he's trying to see if anyone's home. But, it makes sense. I just, again, that I just love the novelty of that right now. Um, well, the question I was going to ask you kind of answered um, in terms of just looking back on everything you have been through and experienced. What is something that you would tell somebody else, like a current young person, regardless of where they're at in life? Like, what is a solid piece of advice that you would? want them to hear a message you would want them to hear something that you would want them to latch on to um, as like a major takeaway. Yeah. Kind of expanding on what I said earlier. I mean, I think mindset is an extremely po- powerful thing and it's something that I think sometimes people don't realize can contribute pretty significantly to the, you know, success, not necessarily like whether you'll, you know, get better or not. Cause I think that is still modern medicine that is still, you know, you know, all the treatments and stuff that have, you know, progressed throughout the years is still what makes you better. But I think the speed of your recovery can contribute, can contribute significantly from the mindset that you have. If you really believe that you are going to get better and you really actively pursue it, you know, it, it's the same. I see very similar, like in school and stuff too like you know you can do the lectures and you can you know listen to people talk and you can kind of you know get some of it but if you really work at it you can get the stuff a lot faster you know so i feel like if you really work on you know eating right having a positive mindset you know doing all that you can you 
I think it can help you get better faster. I feel like that's part of the reason, even though it was a long recovery journey for me, part of the reason that I, I was able to get to where I am today. I love it. That's awesome. Um, tell everybody again where they can find you, the website, Instagram. How do they keep up with you and the company and the schedule? I've been very bad on social. I, I really have not been promoting my social media very much just because, you know, I try not to go on my phone very much. Yeah. Um, but um, you can follow me at uh, jack.witherspoon or you can follow my uh, Sconey's Instagram at uh, Chef Jack's Kitchen or Sconey's, excuse me. Um, and then you can go to my website, chefjackskitchen.com. You can order Sconey's. There's also some articles and some videos if you want to check them out of some previous uh, cooking demonstrations I've done on, on TV. And there's also some links to some articles that have been featured on like Business Insider and the Rachel Ray uh, magazine did a little article on me. So if you want to read up on that, you can. Um, but yeah, you can check out Sconey's at chefjackskitchen.com. Perfect. Buy some sconies, not just because they're delicious, but because they go towards a phenomenal cause, and it's super important. Um, thank you very much for making the time to be on with us. You definitely did not have to, and so we are honored and blessed that you would mm-hmm. share in greater detail than you probably cared to. And so <laughs> we are very appreciative of that. Um, Jake, get us out of here. Yeah, thank you guys for listening. Um what a great episode we just went through and hopefully you guys learned something. Uh, make sure to follow us on all of our socials where you can see where we can, uh, or when we have our next episode or whatnot at F R O M B O B S O F F I C E. That's from Bob's office. And yeah, I'm Jake Mathis. I'm Jacob Bomber. I'm Jack Witherspoon. Have a great day. <laughs>